0: For October 1st, 2012, it's The Overthinking It Podcast, episode 222. Portrait of the Artist as an Old Man Coming to Visit Himself as a Young Man. to the Overthinking It podcast where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I have escaped from the basement. Uh, Peter Fenzel last week was trying to close my loop.
1: I came this close, I came this close. It was
0: like something out of one of those red letter media reviews of Star Wars. And let me tell you, being down there among the charred the charred so, so remains. So
2: it t- you know. Yeah, it took the entire
1: week to get through. Is what you're saying. He wouldn't stand still for me to put the gold bars on his back. It was very
0: nice. It's like, "No, stop it. That tickles." Uh, no, uh, I'm back. Um Absolutely. Matthew Rather here with your podcast. Uh, Podcasters, because we have a big, uh, big panel to get through. Podcasters, unite. Podcasters, assemble. If you were going to travel back in time to the past, say you're a looper and your loop uh, was about to get closed and you do not have the eloquent hangdog eyes of Bruce Willis who with a single glance in extreme close up can convey so much weariness so much life experience so much pleading and yet steely resolve and you had to resort to words assuming you could get the bag off your head and get the the plastic zip ties off your hands bound behind your back if you were sent forcibly back in time and found yourself face to face with your former self holding a blunderbuss in front of you. What would you say to yourself to get yourself not to kill you having come from the future? Ben Adams, what are you going to say?
3: You, I'm assuming you mean other than just throwing gold bars at my past self. Yeah, right. Because that's, that's kind of plan A. But uh, other than that, I think it'd be just start listing off stock quotes <laughs> but not telling him the dates that he needs to buy those stocks. Kind of dangle it out there. Be like, if you want to know when to buy these, you're going to need to let me live. A little bit of a, a little bit of a bribe other than the gold that he can just get by shooting me.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's very clever. That sounds very clever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or uh, well or play. like or, well
0: So you're going to you're going to back to the future to it is what you're saying. <laughs>
3: yeah yeah or or sporting events yeah just start start listing off the the sporting event but don't give him the final score so he's got to let me live
0: uh pete fenzel
1: (laughs) drink Uh I thought that was a really good idea, and you had nothing to say about it, Matt. I'm
0: oh, sorry. Sorry, I thought I thought the I thought my Back to the Future Two crack was the the thing. We'll never if I you, if you I watched, do it.
1: You watched your banter foo when you were in my basement, man. <laughs> we got to get that back into gear.
0: It's sapped it's my will to live. I'm sorry. I thought that it, that if I you know jumped in and and uh, bantered with everybody, we'd never get through. By the time the podcast was over, we'd finally be through the question of the week, but. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, no, but, so let's
1: hammer it out then. But, but that's uh, okay.
0: I mean, I, Ben, that, that assumes that your present self is so sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, is so intent on like playing the stock market that uh, I mean, would that be really an enticement to yourself?
3: I, I'm assuming that if I signed up to be a looper, I'm, I'm pretty greedy. I'm pretty focused on the bottom line here. So, so, you know, looper Ben. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be pretty interested in that. Well, looper
0: Ben. Fair enough. I mean, you know, a man, put a gun in your hand and gave you a reason to live.
2: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Give him something that was his own. (laughs) And it
0: was and it was Jeff Daniels. And I like to think, actually, I like to sort of think that Jeff Daniels is actually his character from the newsroom uh, who has just aged, uh, you know, a certain number of years. And so, like, uh, from being an idealistic news anchor, he's become an older, grizzled, bearded, uh, you know, crime boss. Right. Neck
1: bearded. I like to pretend that he's his character from Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> <laughs> I like to pretend he's his character from Speed. <laughs> so he managed to make it past retirement. I, I like uh, to pretend that that he's
2: uh, Lone Star from Spaceballs because I always <laughs> I always confuse him with uh, with what's his name? Bill, Pullman. Bill, Bill Pullman. Bill
1: Pullman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what
2: it is. You know, okay, I do. It's uh, all white people look the same to me.
1: <laughs> all right, all right. This is what I would say to my former self. <laughs> I yeah.
2: would
0: say, are you, "Are you glad, Pete, that you, you know, that you drove?" It's, it's a
1: mixed bag. We could talk about it in the special features. In the, <laughs> if you buy the premium package, you'll get us talking about it. So I would say, I would look at him and I would say. This isn't even my final form. Aren't you going to power up before you fight me? Uh, At which point, my (laughs) looters would discard his weapon. He would, like, pause. He would discard his weapon. He would start going, And then I would start going, And I would run. (laughs) Run in the other direction as fast as possible. Uh, Or I'd create a giant cloud of dust, and he'd expect me to emerge from it unharmed so that he could shoot me. But in fact, I would be, like, in a taxi cab. So there you go. (laughs) That's a Dragon Ball Z solution to a looper problem, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and which, at, at any point during the movie, you could have solved all the problems with a variety of Dragon Ball Z solutions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Dead wife? How about have her not be dead? <laughs> Let's wish her back with the Dragon Balls, and everything will be fine. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> If no, all we please. have to do is keep the kid, no. oh, sorry, go ahead. We'll talk. I'll talk about that in special features too. We got to keep moving. We got to keep moving, folks.
0: Oh, oh, now we, now we have to keep
1: moving. I know. Uh, oh yeah, this is spoilers. Lots of spoilers for Looper. So warning for spoilers for Looper. Uh, there you go. In Dragon Ball. Yeah. Not for Dragon Ball. They punch each other a lot. It's it's what happens. It's, they're <laughs> actually
2: they're still powering up in, in Dragon Ball, right? Like they started oh, yeah. sometime in the late nineties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
0: And uh, spoilers, spoilers also for uh, uh, P.T. Anderson's The Master coming up in, the, in the, the rest of the podcast. Mark Lee!
4: Okay. I assume that Looper version of Mark uh, still has a lot of things in common with the non-Looper assassin version of Mark. That is to say that uh, is really into music. So the um, picture, uh, me with my blunderbuss ready, and then uh, boom, pops. Uh, older Mark pops in. But he's got like a, a, a an iPod with some speakers on him, and you know what he tells me? Younger Mark, Younger Mark, it's me older mark you know the new sound you were looking for listen to
3: this, <laughs>
4: <laughs> this place has been for like two years from now and like gives me the secret to uh to, to becoming a, a major pop music success which is what i really want to be instead of a loop time traveling looping assassin i don't that's just you know what i do to pay the bills because i didn't have the guts to, to take the risk in the music business
3: Dave
0: Sheckner! Damn!
2: Uh, I have three. I I have three quick ones I'll rattle through quickly. Uh, One, I will say, if you kill me, hoverboard technology dies forever! uh, Because we all want hoverboards. And then uh, the second one I would say because, you know, I'm also, much as Mark's assumption, I'm assuming that, you know, Looper Dave uh, will have just eschewed Dave's love of life and fear of killing everything, or anything at all. But it's otherwise completely identical. Uh, and hence, like, you know, just can't, can't bear to have, like, paradoxes go unexamined if not resolved. And so, like, I would probably say, I'm Dave Schechner and I don't remember any of this happening during my youth. And then I would lie. The younger Dave Schechner would have to be like, well, why is that? And then the two of us would have to have a discussion about how time travel works. Um, Involving and then, straws. Probably involved. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming we're doing this next to like a wheat field of some sort. So like straws, we've got plenty of. A small piece of paper on which to write a note about getting out of town and a pen with which to write it, I'm not sure. But definitely like plenty of straws. Uh, And then finally, probably the most important thing I would, I would say to my younger self to get me from killing my older self would be, um, you know, open the door, get on the floor, everybody walk the dinosaur.
1: And you just go boom, boom, aka, a aka, boom, boom. That's basically, right. yeah. And you run away.
2: <laughs> I, I think if you say that three times in the dark, Whoopi Goldberg materializes, right?
1: So
2: we, <laughs> we would just like chill with Whoopi thereafter. Wow. Okay. Nothing. For Jordan that. Stokes. <laughs> <laughs>
5: my, my, uh, my answer is I think similar to, to Dave's last answer, which is. Like, I mean, look, I'm also a big music fan. There are probably any number of songs that I could come through the Time Portal singing that younger me would be compelled to sing along with before shooting me. But I think that the, the one to go with, right, is just as I go through, because you only have like a little bit of time, is to go, manamana. <laughs> and at that point, you know, younger me has to go through the whole do-do-do-do-do. All the way through gives me plenty of time And I figure if I don't have my handcuffs off by that time I deserve what I get You can just open it up for solos
2: at that point, right?
0: Jordan Stokes going to exploit the monomenology Of the situation Alright, here's me Younger self Look at me body racked with disease. Barely able to hold my head up. You're going to have a sex partner who's going to give you a future STD and you're going to live the rest of your life in excruciating pain. But if you don't kill me, I'll tell you who it is. And you can avoid, uh, you know, sexual congress and whatnot. All the frotage. Because we don't have sex in the future. We just frotage a lot. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'd <laughs> uh, shoot sure you for saying that. Yeah. Oh man, do you become strong bad in the future? <laughs> That's one of the you side effects of up. this. That's <laughs> totally cool ramp I made. Where my bike's <laughs> cool. Is is is
2: the STD just chafing? Is that why you speak that way? You're just like terribly, terribly. Your changed. whole
0: body is chafed, inside and out. You can't eat anything. Your whole GI tract. It's excruciating. Peristalsis it is, like, it- is, is 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 so painful. Trugdoor, <laughs> something
1: like a, a Taken two commercial. Is that what this is? I am a man with particular skills, and I'm going to find you, and I will kill you.
0: Okay, that would, <laughs> Yeah, that would be. I am a man with particular skills. So, uh, podcast uh, topic is the science fiction film Looper, uh, which I think I think we've all seen. So settle in. This happens only once in a blue in a blue moon. Um, So there are a lot of ways to uh, look at Looper, and Wallace Stevens um, cataloged them all in a poem. (laughs) Uh, One, you know, amid the stillness, uh, the only thing moving is the Looper. Uh, Two... No, I. That's that's, that's actually interesting.
5: <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of relevant to to Looper's actual plot, isn't it? <laughs>
0: to, to, to the plot, yeah. Well, we can talk we can talk a little bit about Wallace Stevens uh, if you like. But uh, so right, so there are a couple of ways um, to look at Looper. One is as a time travel movie, generically. Another is as a dystopian future movie, right? As a like as a variety of Blade Runner. Uh, right. Um, I don't know. Are there others? I mean, uh, just to kind of oh, set yeah. the stage. Generically, uh, it, you could look at it as a romance, right? As a love story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's,
1: it's also it's also a, a the prophecy movie. Uh-huh. Like if you've seen the prophecy with Christopher Walken and Eric Stoltz and whatnot about like the child who is the future and the. The guy who's supposed to protect him but doesn't really believe in himself, and the sort of mm-hmm. semi supernatural being coming back to kill him. And so it's in there in the house in the wilderness. It's very, it's a lot like the prophecy in a lot of ways. That's interesting. It's interesting. Some a, people also, would call it a
5: Children of Men movie, but the prophecy mm. is a bit closer. Huh.
2: There actually are a bunch of movies like that. You have me thinking now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.
2: <laughs> we we had, Well, we had a sort of a think tank that touched on this years ago, right? Like, best gunfight while holding a baby.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sort of
2: like... Say, the, the film is, for five minutes or so, a, a Groundhog Day movie, too, right?
0: Sure. <laughs>
1: right. That was a scary moment when you thought the movie was just going to do the same. It was going to be like a <laughs> causality loop episode of Star Trek movie. And it's right, like, right. decompress main shuttle bay. The resultant kick should shoot us out of the way. Like that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> right, absolutely. And he holds up, yeah, he holds up the, the number three or something like that. Oh, yeah, number three is in the yep. yeah.
1: <laughs> It's also a bit of a gangster movie, right? Sure. Yep. Straight Is up, it, it's a diner movie. Light like, yes. <laughs> oh. <Harley-weight>. wait sort of. <laughs> it's it, it's a stump axing
2: movie. Yeah. <laughs> a, one, one of the great of the stump axiads, I would say, right in the pantheon there.
4: Uh, also, oh, yep. Star, <laughs> along with Star Trek Generations, I believe. That's what Not I was
5: <laughs> <avoid>. <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: There you go. There, there's your film trilogy night: Star Trek Generations, Looper, and Ethan Frome. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What <laughs> uh, does that? I mean. So does that help? I mean, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Like, you can you can sort of say a lot of you can say a lot of things about uh, about a, a film like this. But does does it help? Like, do we understand it in a different way? Kind of looking but, at it, looking at the genre I, of the movie. Or
2: I was actually I was watching an interview uh, with the director, uh, like a, a two minute snippet thing, and uh, and he was talking about the fact that like. One of the reasons why he likes sci-fi is that sort of unlike a lot of the other sort of um, larger denomination film genres, like sci-fi really works best when it's not holding the film up on its own. As opposed to – you go to a romance movie and if all you get is a romance movie, you're pretty much – you're probably satisfied with what you've seen you know whereas if you go to a sci-fi movie and it's nothing but techno babble back and forth and you don't really care about any of the characters involved then like then the movie's going to fall flat and so so he was saying that you know the best sci-fi movies are one where what you've done is like put a, a sci-fi veneer on top of it and shoehorn something else that you're interested in talking about under underneath it and so yeah I know I think this discussion <laughs> that we just mockingly had <laughs> is actually very appropriate right like this is this is a movie that is appearing to be a whole bunch of things while um while actually being a whole bunch of other things That's I an interesting work- statement about, uh, about science fiction, right? That yeah, like- I'm not sure I agree with him Either about sci-fi Or that sci-fi could be oh. unique that way But yeah, it is an interesting statement but what, Sorry, Jordan, what were you saying? Well, I mean, I was, uh, I was Probably just going to let it hang
5: there But the idea that, uh, that science fiction Is nothing but
2: technobabble to
5: him uh, probably explains why he thinks that pure science fiction movies are boring. And I would say that probably a lot of movies that that would be held up as sort of canonical pure science fiction movies um, are not to him because they have something else going on, and that's like, you know, that that excludes it from being considered sci-fi, which is a, a very hoity
2: doity way to go about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's, very, it's very sort of tautological.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'd add that I think when he's saying that, he's not just saying that there's more to it. That might be what he's thinking. But based on his own work, I'd say that not only is it that there's something else other than the sci fi, but there's another genre. Right? Like, so, like, when I think about the movie Solaris, for example, which I think of as like a very pure sci fi movie. Right, like uh, with the yeah, George yeah. Clooney's and outer space and whatnot, and uh, but that movie is also kind of a relationship drama, but it's not like a genre romantic movie. You know what I mean? Like the genre is very firmly grounded in science fiction. It still has all the richer elements of a story, but there isn't like another genre that's in there. The sort of influence is a little bit more diffuse. Um, whereas something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or the Avengers, like there's a there's a surface genre, and then there's like a secondary genre, which is which has a lot of conventions that are very kind of self consciously hewn to. Right. And then below that, you flesh out all of the little more details uh, of the situation. Sure. Um, and in this, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think that this, this movie kind of nested genres pretty well. Although that, the conversation where he like says, we don't want to talk. <laughs> I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter that it's science fiction, whatever he says, right? It doesn't matter that it's time travel. We're not going to talk about it. It's a pretty great conversation, right? Uh, in, the, in the diner yeah, there.
0: Yeah. Right. That'll just make you crazier. We'll be, we'll be sitting here all day, is what he says, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Exactly. it's like the
3: bit in uh, one of the Austin Powers movies where he's with uh, the guy basically turns the camera and is like, don't worry about it. That goes for you all at home as well. That's, that's basically yeah. what that scene served to do. Well, I,
0: I mean, I think that is. Yeah, it's not quite that blatant, but but I think you're right. It is. A, it's a message to the audience about how to read its instructions and how to read this movie and why. Right. Like we're up to something different here.
2: Yeah, and as such, also kind of a commentary on the other sci-fi movies that are out there. I mean, I feel like um, a lot of the famous science fiction movies are, are sort of the, um, the 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 exceptions that prove the rule, right, in that they can probably pull off time travel well um, – and, 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 you know, can work around the paradoxes or use them as plot elements that are interesting, whereas, like, a lot of the time travel literature that's out there is just, it, you know, gets so caught up in trying to explain itself or be clever in how it fleshes itself out that, um, that, that it, it becomes lousy. And so, you know, that's, that's a, I think that's a scene that basically says, like, don't worry about it in this movie, and also you probably shouldn't really be watching all the other movies that, that don't do this well.
1: Yeah. Well one of the good things about science fiction as a, as a framing device for another kind of movie is that um, it allows us to talk and portray abstract relationships of the mind and of emotions uh, with concrete things right. that the characters have to confront mm, yeah. right So like you know like a, a sort of father son anxiety is present in this movie in which like Joseph Gorvin Levitt is sort of looking at himself. And thinking about previous generations and about kind of like the cycle of generations and how time proceeds and his own expectations for his own life. And in an actual human being, all of these thoughts would be very abstract and would be kind of. Uh, I mean, maybe you guys have different experiences than mine, but mine is like these. These feelings are all very abstract, and it's hard to represent the conflict. Um, you know, one way to do it is to create kind of like allegories and, and mystical explanations, right? That, uh, and kind of like uh, you know, phantasmagoria of like the different spirits. But if you use a science fiction explanation, you can kind of personify the different elements of the comic I mean you could also do it with a straight up drama just by making them different people But it, it sort of does remind you A little bit that this is kind of abstract While at the same time imbuing this the story With kind of stakes and tension That's associated with it not just being fantasy land Right like Sure,
5: um, sure. Yeah. The, well, I think the best example of that From this movie is the uh, Like the, the thing that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Other than an assassin is a drug addict right? And being a drug addict is basically Like shooting your older self in the head every time you, uh, you know, you, you, you shoot up or smoke up or drop drop, drop down or whatever it might be, right? <laughs> um, and it's something that, like, most people don't really think about very much, but some people do, and they tend to affect exactly the kind of bravado that you see the loopers affecting. When they're like, yeah, I just killed myself today, woo! I had a friend in high school who, uh, when he would smoke tobacco, you know, because he was... Uh, Hardcore addict um, would say, Yeah, like this will kill me eventually, but but screw old Alex. Like, what has that guy ever done
0: for me?
3: Right. Yeah. Was that's... I the only one that that saw part bits of that? The bit, there's the, bit, there's the line where he's like, Yeah, we don't really have good long term outlooks. So, other than one that thought of the NFL
1: guys oh, like wow. trading their. <laughs> you know, the players current. getting concussions or the owners not hiring the real referees? <laughs> <laughs> the concussions, you know, the players <laughs> oh, trading their. Oh, oh.
3: Current current well being and wealth for thirty years down the line concussions.
0: I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a, sure that's a that's a matter of degree though, right? Because aren't you always trading some sort of future bit of of happiness, right? Like when you're when you're I don't know sitting at the computer instead of like what doing push ups or something, uh, aren't you? You know.
1: Well yeah, but that's bad too. Like I mean if I'm playing Team Fortress for six hours, which I've I've done on occasion sometimes, like I'm that's it's bad. Like it's an addictive <laughs> behavior. Like it's not good for me or for future Pete yeah. Yeah, Who, but- whose power level is far beyond mine, so I better start doing push ups. <laughs> so you're that like team can- pete your team fortress setup
2: is is run through like a 1986 nintendo power mat so you have to do push-ups in order to control your dude
1: <laughs> exactly the power yeah. pad everything here is fueled by the power pad uh definitely <laughs> on spoilers it. yeah i'm on all floors yeah exactly i re-rigged step aerobics into skype and world-class track meet into uh into overthinking it.com right so, yeah exactly
0: that's how yeah. I, yeah. That's how I uh, that's how I develop the software for overthinking it. Actually, it's you know I have a giant sort of keyboard on the floor, a la Big, you know, and and I <laughs> jump like Tom Cruise from letter to letter. You know, it's it's a very slow way to write PHP, but very uh, yeah. It's, it's
1: yeah. Good. I mean, this this no oh, sorry. This like, it, we can t- keep talking about the different fake computer setups we have if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little punchy. Go on. <laughs> I was going to say, or... that one question I want to pose to you guys about all this is that the movie really seems to think that Bruce Willis in his hammock with his wife in the future is a saved life. Right is like a life that has been redeemed a life that is that is intrinsically worth more right like uh a, a life that is worth living rather than one that is worth being disposed of right relative to the life that Joseph layd Levin has has like you know being with strippers slash prostitute people and like being a drug addict uh, in what what is the sense of this is there, are we is this just because of sort of conventional morality Wait, or is
0: that is is that really the is that when the movie comes down finally? Is that really the position that it has? Because it seems to me—I mean, there are two moments where it seems to me that that's that that's questioned. One is is well, spoiler alert, when he shoots himself. But the the other is uh, when he sees Emily Blunt for the first time. Um, the the memory of the wife in Shanghai starts to fade a little bit, right? And that's what that that's what that at least I was assuming that that's what that little sequence um, in the uh, uh, in the sewer. Right was about where he looks at his watch and tries to remind himself of of the uh, uh, I, I mean of the thing. I, and like it's it sort of by by I don't know, setting the real protagonist of the movie who is kind of young, uh, you know, young version, right, against old version, old looper, um, I, I think it probably uh, I think it at least questions that that whether it actually is good at all, right? And also by know. making him kill kids. I
5: think that's a little <laughs> bit um I'm not sure exactly which heresy in particular this is. the idea that someone who is bad must be all bad, and everything they do must be bad. I, I think that you're right that the film comes down on the side of uh, of you know Joseph Gordon Levitt rather sure. than on the side of bruce willis but the The reason why Bruce Willis is a really wonderful villain for a movie um and one of my favorite things about this movie is like the kind of villain that he is is that. His relationship with his wife is something good. And, like, yes, he, he kills kids, so he's a bad guy, and he's gone too far. But the thing he's trying to, to save is not, therefore, tainted.
2: Although, I mean, it is um, – I feel like if he hadn't revealed that she had been killed by the mob in the future, then, then what you just said would have, been, would have been more novel and more true. But as it stands, in a sort of sense, it's a villain who's motivated by people who killed his wife. Which is actually which is actually pretty common right yeah yeah like, and, that's, and that's fairly fairly dull I suppose
1: yeah <laughs> I mean it's more likely to be a hero I mean he's he's basically like uh this could be a if it's told from the perspective of Bruce Willis it's a Steven Seagal movie. <laughs> right? It's like they killed my wife in the future, so I went back to the past to team up with young me and take out the bad guys. And it would like end with like them high fiving after he's killed Jeff Daniels, right? Like that would be the end of the
2: movie. Uh, <laughs> if it's told from the perspective of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's butler's angle, is it a Christopher Nolan movie? <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, oh man, if it, wait. What makes it a Christopher Nolan movie is if it's what if it's told from. I don't even know If, Christopher, if it's still from the composer's perspective Probably Because <laughs> the music was pretty similar Yeah, yeah, yeah did anybody else think that when that motorcycle f- was breaking down, it sounded like they took a, a sound effect from episode one from the pod racer? Was anyone else hoping the little kid was going to have an extended flying motorcycle chase that lasted for half an hour in the middle of the movie?
0: <laughs> yeah, right, with this extremely bombastic John Williams score to go, yeah. Yeah,
1: to go <laughs> on.
2: <laughs> just, just scrolling text on the bottom. It's like, Looper, the video game, available in stores, October 15th. Yeah. <laughs> All major platforms.
0: Mm-hmm. A man and a Woman are one I
2: mean, a man I, I, and a woman <laughs> and a looper are
0: one. We'll, so, so, we'll post um, in the show notes the entire text of 13 Ways of Looking at a Looper."
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, what do people think about? Um, uh, one thing that I was having a hard time getting my head wrapped around was whether to to treat the uh, Joseph Gordon Joseph something something Levitt uh and Bruce Willis characters as two different people or as one person right which i guess is one of the central things we're supposed to ponder in this and i'm not really sure like where i come down on this you know I, do you because it also affects you know all right so we in the previous discussion we sort of set up that you know one person is either intrinsically or develops into a bad person the other's either intrinsically or develops into a good person um but are they really different people uh do you ever walk through the same river twice?
1: <laughs> I would say that they are in the context of this movie, um, that they are different people uh, because they show characteristics of kind of recognizing each other as the other. Like when Joseph Gordon-Levitt carves the name into his arm, he carves Beatrix into his arm to notify his older self of where he needs to go. He's like very consciously sending a message kind of to somebody else, right? And then the way that memories sure, are sure. described throughout the movie, it's like the memories are something that sort of you possess, um, but they don't go quite as far as sort of Blade Runner would go and saying that you are who Your memories are right for To this movie like the, the active frame of Reference that you have in the present is a Very important component of who you are And that the capacity of that That uh, frame of reference to experience pain Or pleasure to have wants or needs to Possess things is like part of who you Are uh, you're not it's Not like Bruce Willis ceases to exist Because his past ceases to exist If his past ceases to exist he like suffers a great Loss Right? But it's not like it's, he's intrinsically his memories, which would make him the same person, right? But just sort of spread over different points of time. It's almost like there's sort of uh, different cars on the same track, at different places on the track. And they're kind of like about in danger, colliding with each other. Um, yeah. Trains, the, not cars, but yeah.
5: The fact that there is some sort of delay and bleed over of, um... Like, when, when his memories change, they don't change all at once, and they don't change completely. He still remembers some things that sort of can't have happened in the uh in the new timeline right like he he remembers he still remembers killing himself even though he no longer killed himself and so on and that uh that I think sort of it goes to what Pete is saying that they do have to be kind of different people even though uh in, in some ways they they have access to a shared psyche or something like that
0: yeah and that's i mean that's it 's another way in which um, you know what we said about science fiction uh, you know, providing a way to kind of reify very extra abstract things uh, where it 's useful in this you know what I mean in this film because yeah. the, the the you can wage a battle over the like the memories of Bruce Willis or something like that and they and the film <laughs> and this film found a uh, Found, I think, a you know a pretty compelling visual language to kind of figure that out. You know what I mean, and make that make that a real thing, rather than kind of Star Trekking it and you know solving it with a long, long monologue. Right.
2: Right. Right.
1: <laughs> applying, applying monologue technology. So how would Doctor how would Doctor Who solve this problem, and how long would it take him? <laughs> like you know, five minutes, ten minutes.
2: <laughs> there, there'd be a, there'd be a much higher body count. Which is impressive, because this is a movie about a mob hitman, yeah. but like, yeah, I don't know, I mean, if people, are anyone on the podcast not like a Doctor Who fan? Yeah, yeah.
0: not really. I, yeah,
2: I mean, I've never not. seen it. Uh, I, I love Doctor Who, I'm a big fan of Doctor Who, but like, nonetheless, were the Doctor a real person, were to encounter him on the street, I would I would get away as quickly as possible. He's, he's just not a safe person to be around. Uh, <laughs> you know it's basically like everyone in his universe is wearing a red shirt and like his closest companion is wearing like a shirt that got that was like white but got washed with a bunch of the red shirts so like at any time maybe you could get just killed by some monster yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love those moments in doctor who and we'll get back to looper in a second but i love those i love those moments in doctor who when he confronts because he's such a happy-go-lucky bouncy kind of fellow at least i didn't watch i haven't watched the newest doctor so much but up to the david Tennant one in particular he'll confront a bad guy and the bad guy will be about to kill him you're like, are you aware of who I am? Right, he'll, and he'll like sort of imply the no- sheer number of genocides that he's personally committed, right? Like, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> it's like, there, are, there are war memorials on multiple planets that are solely his fault, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, he's you know, it's, it's very intense the, the, the swath of destruction he leaves in his path. Like, his solution, like, Doctor Who may very well be the Rainmaker. Right, like <laughs> maybe Doctor Who is the one who shows up and closes all the loops because they're wrecking the space-time continuum, and he needs to fix it. And he kills all the vagrants because they're really Cybermen, right? Like, because that's, cause that's <laughs> sure. what the bad guy does. Right, is he kills? We understand the bad guy kills the the like mafia hitmen, and he starts executing homeless people in large numbers. Right, like that's what he does in the future. That makes the Rainmaker so bad, right? Or is he doing other stuff too? I guess well, he controls the crime families or the syndicates or what have you. Yeah.
3: Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's interesting. The vagrants seem to be getting killed pretty good in the uh, the present in the movie all by, all by themselves.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was one pretty big hole. Like, how is it so hard to dispose of a body when it's acknowledged that in both the present and the future, there are just hordes of homeless people being murdered indiscriminately? Like, how is it so hard to get rid of? I guess if you're important, right? You get tagged, right? <laughs> uh, whatever. That took me out of it. As someone who generally cares for the murder of the homeless and doesn't want it to happen, I found that to be kind of... <laughs> essay
4: <laughs> so just on that on that point um about the difficulty of, of murdering in the future um there is i'm reading really on an article here in which uh the director writer ryan johnson gives some explanations for some of the harder to understand uh parts of the, uh, the more ambiguous parts of the movie and one of them is exactly about this point and it basically to, to sum up the answer is like you're you're tagged with nanotechnology and it's effectively like you are always tracked um, so, you know, maybe the vagrants, because uh, they're not uh, worthy of tracking, they don't have the nano chip inside of them. Look, look, look. We're just going to be drawing with straws here. Okay.
1: Only- <laughs> I want to feel better about myself based on my ability to point out flaws in this movie that I wish I made. All
0: right.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, Peter, wait. Of- yeah,
0: gee, when did you become Slashdot?
1: Yeah. <laughs> right around the, when Shekner wrote his article About the Indiana Ghost thing and I was like, Whatever yeah. The big hole that I sort
5: of was wondering about Is uh, if As we know from an article that Schechner wrote from this site Every form of time travel is also a very Very efficient form of space travel Because you know to, the, yeah. the world is spinning around And so on um, Why don't you just like loop people back To about a mile in the air Right and have your looper be gravity because, yeah, yeah. you know, and if you want to, you can, you can go ahead and, and send Bill Pullman back in time to, like, have him manage gravity for, for you. But gravity is not going to pull a runner <laughs> at any Heck, point.
1: You, you could loop them into the bottom of the ocean.
3: Yeah. To, uh, or, the the book Timeline talks about this. They, 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 they send people back to, like, Mount Vesuvius right before it exploded or, like, Hiroshima on the day they dropped the bomb. And that's hmm. how they can kill people using time travel.
0: Yeah, No ma- right, exactly. No matter how far you run, you're not going to, you know...
3: M- right, or you just do it one second before the detonation or whatever sure. it is. Not, you you get, don't really right. need to hire people. Can't it get
0: free on. of the shockwave of, of Fat Man, right? Right.
1: A little child, however, that, that can be avoided. <laughs> that's how they kill the maestro in Future Perfect, the Incredible Hulk cartoon, or no, no, the comic book as well. Nuts. <laughs> 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 <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> hey, wait,
4: we didn't say anything about spoilers for the incredible. Hulk
1: I'm sorry. Spoiler alerts from 30-year-old incredible Hulk comic books. Uh, nobody cares about Professor Hulk anyway. It's he's a he's a he's a pedestrian hey, 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 interpretation. Hey, hey, hey. You take that back. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough.
5: Fair enough. So I have a theory about how uh Looper is more like Star Trek than it is like Doctor Who. Would okay. you all like to hear it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Go on. Okay. So um So I was thinking about Doctor Who's approach to time travel, and Doctor Who has written deep into its DNA that not knowing things is a wonderful situation. Like, the cool thing about being the Doctor or being a companion is that you get to go and sort of experience mysteries and see weird stuff that you don't understand, and that's great and it's fun. And you can kind of get out of any problem that comes across your path as long as you don't know that it ends badly, having the knowledge that something happened in such and such a way makes it impossible to change. So it's very kind of, um, I, I don't know, Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat uh in, a, in, in the way that science fiction uses that particular thought experiment, that once once the waveform has been collapsed, it, it can't be changed. So learning things about the future is incredibly dangerous and, uh, and even immoral because it takes away that mystery. This is... The- deeply antithetical to the way that Star Trek sees the world. In Star Trek, understanding stuff always solves all of your problems. Mm -hmm. There's never a case where on Star Trek they learn something and they're like, wow, I wish we hadn't learned that. Now we're kind of boned. Right? (laughs) Now, the way that this movie eventually resolves its problem, uh, you've had Bruce Willis knowing stuff that Joseph Gordon-Levitt knows just because he has access to his mind. And the point where Joseph Gordon-Levitt finally beats him is when he manages to get access to the things Bruce Willis knows. And, I mean, like, it's... He's, I think he actually says, I have remembered. And it's, it's not like he's able to remember this, because it hasn't happened to him. What's really happening is... And someone who can remember the uh, the giant, like, uh, Q soliloquy from the end of All Good Things can say it. when he realizes the possibilities, right, of how this time loop mm-hmm. is working and, uh, and what... He, like, what everyone else's experience has been. And then he figures out how to, to solve the problem, how to cut the loop. It involves taking himself out of it. Um, so that is why Looper is more like Star Trek
2: than it is like Doctor. When, when he uh, cuts the Joseph Gordonian knot, so to speak. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Good night, everybody. Anyway. <laughs> i like that that's really cool I th- that is interesting about the uh, the doctor who thing too about the uh not knowing about the future would be a bad thing um, it's, a, it's interesting though
2: because both series do like put a very heavy emphasis on like the importance and or the joy of discovering things of figuring things out that are that are mysterious like i would, I would totally agree with uh, with jordan's characterization of it but like the doctor you know like most episodes of Doctor Who are like they encounter something weird somehow, and the Doctor and his companions go to investigate it. Like they go to investigate it to try and figure out what what's going on in the very local sense. It's just like when you try and draw back and get a, a, a bigger picture of what's going on that you encounter the sort of thing that you're talking about.
1: Sure, sure. Let me let me ask a question to everybody. Do you think that Sid grows up to be the rainmaker? at the end is it very definitive that he doesn't or is there a possibility that he does like how did you guys interpret that I
4: mean Pete you know there's no fate but what we make is
1: uh is, is, is <laughs> yeah, something I'm a Terminator that, uh, 2 man people... <laughs> not a Terminator 3 man yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: it, it is certainly uh open I mean like uh you know the the, the no I I bring that on not just to make a cheap Terminator reference but um to remind sort of what the one of the points of the movie is is that you know that uh you know, your fate is in your control. Like you have an, uh, um, you have a say over the outcomes of what what's going to happen. Um, uh, that being said, I mean, you know the the power of the love of a mother is such so great that it can you know save a child from an evil, genocidal future. I think is also a very strong message of the movie.
0: Well, the, I mean, I, actually, I wanted to return to something that, that Pete said earlier, which was about kind of parents, right, and, like, the kind of father-son anxiety that, that exists, especially father-son, but you could generalize and say parent-child uh, because of, like, Emily Blunt and the, uh, the young, creepy young boy um, who does a great angry face. Do, I mean, right? like
2: <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. God. that that face is the portrait of my nightmares that,
0: right now uh, that must have been the audition <laughs> for this film was like okay make the angry face you know um the uh right but uh weather mother's love because this is this is a uh, a film in which there are no really straightforward parent child relationships except except in the sense of like you know the child is the father of the man right um and so so I, I think if the Joseph Gordon Levitt experience of of sort of realizing is any is any sort of indication, realizing like that he could he could stop it, he had the he had the power to stop it. Um, yeah,
1: but yeah, yeah. Go
0: ahead. Uh, that that like it, the movie ends on a hopeful note. I think it's also a hopeful note, and this is this is maybe a little retrograde in terms of gender politics, but I think it's also a hopeful note because the kid listens to mom, right? Like, and mom is the only is the only uh, uh, woman in the movie who's not a who's not a stripper, right?
2: <laughs> oh no. Uh. Oh, or, or, uh, or a vagrant, Asian, yeah, Asian. or a or a diner waitress, or a diner waitress,
1: right? Absolutely, <laughs> Just, or, or an, yeah. I guess or an diner an ingenue plot point. Di- diner, Just because she serves yeah. you French toast, that don't make her a hoe, yo. Come on. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: I think I, no, well, yeah, diner right diner waitress is a version of mom. I, I want to say because yeah, of the, because of the provision of food, right? But uh. uh I you know I don't know I think that because like because that that um you know young rainmaker uh listens to mom saying like it's okay it's okay it's okay because like a woman can kind of get into the uh can kind of break, break the cycle of of this sort of violence that's sort of gendered male right
1: But she didn't break it the fir- to be fair like I mean are I guess I guess yeah, the she idea gets, is- she
0: gets blown away the first time Does, Does she,
1: she?
3: In the Yeah first I think I think I think everything was the same in the original timeline except for Joseph Gordon-Levitt like blowing himself away and
1: changing so the we future. So you feel like that's that's the only event in the movie that is different th- than the original events of the movie for the most like, with some certain very very specific exceptions. Right like uh, where like they carve things on the people's arms and stuff and things. We see things change. So you we're saying that like that the rainmaker that we meet at the beginning of the film is Sid having grown up because Bruce Willis shot his mom? And oh, I guess it makes sense because no. he shot a jaw, right? Oh no, I,
3: I th- that, the jaw thing is what, what why I would think so. Yeah. He, somebody had to shoot him to, to get that to happen, right? Right? Right?
1: Yeah, but he, there there is
0: a moment where he gets his jaw hurt in the in the the movie, isn't it? It's it's maybe when they shoot at the the pickup truck or or something. There's definitely like a big old Band-Aid on his face, right?
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. We get shot in the face by Bruce Willis as he's trying to escape to the sugar cane. But the point is that if Joseph Gordon-Levitt never showed up in the first place, then uh, are we to understand that Sid never would have become the Rainmaker either because his mom would have been around? I mean, I guess he does show him certain kind of bonding stuff, and he's nice to him, and he sort of helps repair the relationship between the mom and and Sid. But he also abandons him by killing himself after, like, creating kind of a father figure. So I could imagine it could go either way. Actually, you know, we Um, don't really know that he kills himself, Right. Joseph know,
0: yeah, we know we yeah, know that yeah. he kills himself because he's still laying. He's still laying there when Piper, uh, not Piper Perabo, uh, uh, Emily Blunt, like walks Blunt, up to him, yeah, yeah and sees the uh, sees the so. silver bars. Yeah. You know, do
1: you think it's Spoiler like a Emily Fight Club around. cop out where he just shoots himself in the jaw and for some reason his ultimate <laughs> disappears? <laughs> no, I, I think
2: uh, I, I was thinking more that like I could be clever and be like, oh, well, if he shoots himself. Uh, and somehow distracts bruce willis and allows them to escape together then he never grows
1: up to become the rainmaker and thus bruce willis is never sent back he could have just blown his own leg off and then bruce willis would have fallen down but then he also died from rupturing his femoral artery so and i've had enough femoral artery movies thank you very much black hawk down (laughs) (laughs) this this, this movie already plays too much into the femoral mystique (laughs)
4: <laughs> Wait. Let me let me just go through my interpretation of the events and, and, you, and correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm missing something really important here, but I see sort of the prime timeline um be sort of that the second time where we see uh, uh old Joe show up in the field, right? And so a young Joe kills uh, kills Bruce Willis, old Joe, right? And then proceeds along the path of the. Um, of, you know, going to China and of being, becoming a crime lord, going to China and then meeting the Chinese wife, right? And that prime timeline doesn't involve that uh, standoff in the field and, the, and, and that we see, you know, with the, um, with the telekinesis explosion and all that kind of stuff, right? And then the Rainmaker still exists in that. So the Rainmaker uh, existence is not dependent on old Bruce Willis shooting him.
1: Well, yeah. If it go, if it proceeds, if we believe that the consequences, if if we look at it in a Back to the Future two kind of way, right, where you go down one timeline and it's kind of an isolated timeline, and then you can go back and you go to other timelines, right? Um, Wait, what? what, I mean, no, no, no.
0: The Back to the Future uh, mentality is that you that there is one timeline and you can alter it. Right. Depending uh, in two ways. One, by changing the circumstances in the past and two, by like making decisions and like putting your putting your Jeep into reverse instead of drag racing.
1: Right, so, this, so then, like, what, the, uh, I mean, I don't want to say Dragon Ball Z because I talk about that all the time, but, like, in Marvel Comics, time travel works in a multiple timelines frame, right, where you can go down the Days of Future Past timeline, and people will continue to live in that timeline and can, like, travel back and forth from it, uh, right? And then you have other timelines that go in other directions and are kind of discrete. whereas in, in Looper, it seemed like the timelines were indiscreet and, like, they were sort of related on a probabilistic They were level. telling all
0: kinds of secrets. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but like, but the point is that um, the, the remake. So in, in the first loop, which is the loop where Joseph gordon kills Bruce Willis in the field, mm-hmm. right? In that first loop, which which is the second loop that's shown to you know, the second loop that's shown to us, right? It's right. after the, yeah, the but, jump cut. But
0: in the if you were to put everything into chronological order, if you were to sort of unpulp fiction, the movie, uh, that's the first thing that happens. Yeah, he kills it. Then he grows into Bruce Willis, and then he he comes back with the knowledge that he has. Yeah. Right.
1: So for the Rainmaker to exist in that timeline and for the Rainmaker to be Sid, who was shot – whose mom was shot by Bruce Willis in front of him, then there would have to be a second Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis who were operating in that timeline, right? Like like at the house down the way while Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like going about his day, which doesn't make sense because then the authorities would be looking for him, right? Like. So if there's a second Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis who are creating Sid by traumatizing, by killing him, his mom, um, then like, the authorities and, and Jeff Daniels will be looking for the Joseph Gordon-Levitt who instead successfully manages uh, to leave the country. And also there's the location of the silver, which is different in different places. So I thought when I was watching the movie that the assumption was that the Rainmaker is somebody else, like created in some other way, right? That Like Sid – if Sid were to go down his normal life and he were to never meet Bruce Willis or Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Joe or old Joe as it were, because they're not actually in the movie, right, whatever, Um, then he would become the Rainmaker anyway. Like that's the default scenario in which they don't get involved with him at all, right? Um, You see what I mean about that? Like the sort of level of – I mean this is where I feel smug because I'm slash dotting the movie, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the uh I mean, all all of this arises I think if
2: you try and shoehorn all of the different timelines into a single universe though, right? Like if you try and see this as like a, a probabilistic um expression of like all of the different states in which the single universe has to exist in order for these different nested causalities to sort of like lie upon one another. Um whereas well, like an actual and and that of course is like the foundation of one of the more popular interpretations of the quantum physics model of, of the way subatomic particles work, too. It's like it's hard to... Uh, or, or it's impossible to constrain uh, a small system of interrelated events to one another because they all obey these sort of probabilistic um, models and not these discrete models. Whereas, uh, you know, Ben, Ben, who's podcasting, I wrote very nicely about, like, the other popular interpretation of the superposition paradox, which I think holds play here as well
3: right Right. i mean you, you that's kind of the back to the future multiple worlds this one i interpreted trying to shoehorn it into a single world so maybe then you're getting into those experiments where you know particles arrive before they're sent and things like that so you could think of you know the rainmaker both existing by itself by himself and causing himself to exist in some weird loop where it's kind of an uncaused
2: causer Right, right. Yeah, it's, he, he's his own strong anthropic principle, basically. <laughs> exactly. He, he, he exists because he must have to exist to exist, to exist,
1: mm-hmm. to exist. And, and is it perhaps, I, I, one of the things I thought was, is it perhaps vain of Joseph Gordon-Levitt to consider that all of these big cycles that he's seeing around him, these cycles of violence and these cycles of pain and these cycles of kind of people debasing and destroying themselves and being lost, that just simply by eliminating himself – you know that that like his his particular cyclicality is so important that that this is going to solve these problems and make things better for everybody if this cuz this appears not just to be one individual situation it's the way the world works right and in fact i would even go, go so far as to say like if this is the way that people's experience is, you know, and this is the way that we're kind of considering our own lives, isn't what happens during the loop the thing that's important and not the way that the loop cycles and begins and ends? Isn't that just sort of like an unfortunate reality that we, we you know, we become aware of our mortality and we sort of proceed toward it, right, and we repeat the things that have happened to us before and we pass on the pain that we've experienced, right, like uh, to future generations and to future versions of ourselves, Um like, is it, isn't it seem like, well, maybe I should just not exist and then it will be better, right? Doesn't that seem to be a little bit of a – uh either a cop-out or just something that I have difficulty getting behind um, as, as a solution to this problem, either out of arig- – solipsism, really. It's, it's solipsism. It's like I kill myself and then I don't have to deal with this crap anymore because you know, all these problems are created by my own kind of emotional turmoil. Um, I don't know, symbolically, I guess.
3: The, the first thing you said kind of reminds me of – another bruce willis time travel movie with a loop 12 monkeys yeah, where yeah it's all yeah, kind of yeah. about how he's created by watching this murder that turns out to be himself i mean there's a lot of parallels there and that one was kind of talking about how you can't change it you just have to kind of experience it
1: right 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 exactly so that's more like that's like the in the bill and ted model where it's like well you don't get to go back in time after you've won after the fight's over and replace things to use them during the fight because you lose that's the way it works, right? Like, uh, for uh, for the bad guy. Oh, what's his name? Because he has such a wonderful name. The bad guy in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. A Death? Oh. No, no, no. He's a good guy. Are you kidding? No, <laughs> death is awesome in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, he had a German accent, so it's evil, really hard uh, to
0: evil, evil Robot
1: Uses? No, 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 no. The guy who... For Christ's sake. No, oh, the uh, evil um, robot asses yeah, are not yeah, yeah, yeah. the bad guy of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. The bad guy of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is... Uh, Head Denomilos, I believe, right? Oh, Chuck Denomilos, Chuck Denomilos, <laughs>
0: Denomilos,
1: oh man, it's like you guys haven't seen that movie recently or something.
0: <laughs> Much like,
1: exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah I guess was I the only one who saw it that way or was I also the only one who saw the, the way that men are passing off responsibility for making their lives worthwhile onto like caregiving women as kind of also a particularly undesirable way of looking at the problem of existence uh, well if my mom loves me then everything's great you know then, then it fixes me right then I'm better or some analog for my mother that I find later in yeah, life my, in, my mom or some chick I meet in Shanghai exactly exactly yeah
2: um, I don't know. Oh, uh, my mom has been to Shanghai, so it could be one and the same.
1: <laughs> let's leave, let's, let's, let's leave your mom out of this, Dave. i <laughs> uh, not that I, she's a fine lady, I just don't, I don't want her to get involved with that Bruce Willis fellow. He's just no, he's no good. Oh, he's got such beautiful eyes, though. <laughs> they communicate such depths. Oh, they're so expressive. <laughs> oh, man. How would the movie be different if we were Sylvester Stallone instead of Bruce Willis? Um, just machine gunning. <laughs> no, we're not going to talk about time travel. We're going to make things with straws.
0: How, many, uh, uh, how, would that, uh, how would the movie be different if it was Harvey Firestein instead of Bruce Willis?
1: <laughs> and now there's a girl named Jen who works here on the weekends. It's fewer letters. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can we um,
4: take things in a little bit different direction and uh, go back to one of the other... Uh,
0: different ways of looking at looper, which you mentioned
4: uh, at the, at the beginning of the show, which is as... no we 've only
0: we 've only got eight or nine so far, and we 've got to work up to thirteen <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> um, which is the depiction of a dystopic near future right yeah this i yeah, that 's yeah. something i 'm really interested in as like this movie as a because we 've talked a little bit as this movie as a type of uh what as a type of time 's arrow or um, uh what's the what's the one where the enterprise keeps getting destroyed i keep forgetting number 3 3 uh insignia pips on Rikers. i
1: yeah. just always call it the temporal causality loop episode but yeah. i'm sure that it has a name that we can discover yeah Th- thereby narrowing it down to only
2: 10% of tng episodes <laughs> right yeah uh,
4: because this, uh, this is one of the things that the movie did really well i thought which was uh do a, a good amount of believable world building yeah, oh, yeah. let's talk
1: about so right?
0: Let's talk about Looper oh, as a type. Effect.
1: of... Cause and effect. Sorry. As a, as a t-
0: okay. cause and effect is the name of yeah. that. Yeah. Ex- excellent. And I, uh, uh, I should know that since I've, I've watched all of the Next Generation this year um, on Netflix. But uh, no, let's let's get back to it. Uh, let's get back to Mark, what Mark wants to talk about and talk about this movie as a type of Fifth Element.
1: Boron. <laughs> no, so you mean like as in terms of a, a statement of where we're headed as a society? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, people kind of, I think the anxiety of that we're being forced to murder ourselves, I think, is kind of true, and I think it has to do with the creative destruction happening in the economy, right? Like as um, we're we're like we're working to provide the consulting and services that make ourselves obsolete, right? Like uh, the whole like I'm from the future, go to China, right? Like don't don't be so silly as to think that France will continue to exist.
4: Yeah, and with like, a 75% like income tax uh, on, the, on the very rich. I mean, that's just going to torpedo them, you know?
1: Let's, 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 we don't have time to work out the subtleties <laughs> of the French tax code on the podcast. But let's not misrepresent re- <laughs> people as if French people are actually going to be paying 75%. Anti-tax data, anti-tax. <laughs> we have to go to the neutral zone in the Cayman Islands. We have to bring all our money there. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have time for this.
0: I don't have time to remember the numbers in my Swiss bank
2: account. Yeah, wait a, wait, wait, Matt, were you going for a tax tachyon pun there? Because that was beautiful. Focus, focus your tachyon gun on the middle class.
0: Is it, oh. Dave, is tachyon a real thing in physics or is that a, a Star Trek invention like dechyon? No, 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 no. I,
2: so the, I don't actually know the uh, the origin of it. I'm pretty sure the origin lies in physics, but but and Star Trek sort of picked up on it and, and ran with it. Um, though there, there are examples where science fiction comes up with something, and then later physicists who are invariably sci fi fans say, "Oh, hey, we actually found something like that. Let's call it after the Yeah. So
0: Attack Guns Yeah. So not- let's let's name it the iPad.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Well, uh, the quark is probably. Uh, the best example of this, right? Like, uh,
0: <laughs> named after the popular character. Star Trek. <laughs> character, uh, Space
2: Nine. Uh, you, Yeah, it was going to be called Laudanum, but instead they just went. It was Quark was shorter. Um, no name, name for the James Joyce uh, is a character? Is it a place? No, know no,
0: it's a Joker. line in in, in Finnegan's, Finnegan's Wake where he says three quarks for muster mark, and no one yeah. knows what the hell it means because well, it's they, Finnegan's Wake. Yeah. But but,
2: but, you know, but cool. Gale, Gale Mon was a uh, was a huge fan of um, of of uh, Joyce's and named. <laughs> Joyce,
0: from, truly, from, from, truly, from, our greatest science fiction writer, from,
1: from, from <laughs> Regis, like Gelman from Regis and Kathy
2: <laughs> Lee. That? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's the portrait of the artist as an old man coming to visit himself as a young man. Is what it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, So the tachyon is like a theoretical particle. It actually might be a class of theoretical particles that exist as sort of like. Uh, there's this theorem that basically says that whenever you observe uh, a conservation law, if there's something that's conserved, like you know momentum or, or energy or whatnot, then that also leads to a symmetry uh, and vice versa. You know, so you know, if you observe some sort of symmetry, then that must lead to a conservation law. And then this all gives birth to this whole field of modern physics called grand unification theory, whereby – all the various particles uh, and the forces, which can also be described as particles, get sort of married to one another as the energy gets increased. Uh, and so you you sort of deconvolve the symmetry, or, or I guess you blur the symmetry such that the two things are not symmetric to one another, they're actually just two iterations of the same thing. You end up in this sort of like, um, this sort of Buddhist trans- transubstantial thing where these two different particles are actually two aspects of one particle. And this is all well and good if you can sort of, if the symmetry turns out to describe Describe two different particles that currently exist and are observable. Um, and it's it's very satisfying when the symmetry predicts the existence of another type of particle, which you haven't yet observed, and then you can go and observe it and you go, ah, oh, well, that's that, since we've observed this thing that's predicted by the math, then our symmetry and our description of it must be true. Um, but then in various writings of various flavors of grand unification theory, you get these things called tachyons, which I'm not exactly sure how they play out, but one of their aspects is that they basically are they they experience time in the reverse direction that we do so they have their birth at the end of the universe and they're sort of destroyed at the beginning and they travel backward through time from end to beginning so
1: that, yeah, like, that was like that was, like merlin like merlin yeah, the, exactly. A lot and, like and merlin. Once think. yeah exactly of thing yeah exactly that's right so yeah which is cool so so yeah so uh dystopian future... <laughs>
0: Yeah. So right. So like uh, this movie is a type of of Blade Runner or as a type of of Fifth Element. I mean, I yeah. I think if anything, the um, the what we are the like the one 1% percent becomes one 1% percentier, right? It becomes like the zero point one percent or so, or something like that. I mean, yeah. I as I 1%, was watching
4: this, one percent uh, of the of the the crime population controls one hundred percent of the time travel in the future. apparently. Uh,
0: I was thinking I was thinking of this movie, and as as I was doing it, um. Uh, as as I was watching, I was thinking about this this type of movie, uh, Fifth Element or Blade Runner or or something like that, and was thinking which you know it's an interesting thing to it's an interesting thing to sort of look at these movies and say which trends right uh, which present day trends does this is this movie anxious about that it thinks is going to sort of continue unabated uh, without any kind of check or balance and um, and like kind of th- throw us off track. Uh, in the future. Right. And like yeah. in, uh, in minority report, it had to do with the, uh, with the sort of mon- had to do a sort of monitoring, right. With sort of a lack of privacy, right. In, in Blade Runner, it has to do, I think with sort of media, um, w- uh, with media and a kind of like class stratification, right. That's, that was going to continue right in, in fifth element. Um, it had to do with really insane hairstyles. Uh, well, <laughs> yes. One detail that I really liked about
4: the future and sort of these anxieties of the present that we we're projecting onto the – or that the filmmakers are projecting into the future is how all cars are basically – are like 2012 era, current day cars that have been retrofitted to run off of electricity or solar or alternative fuels. You can see that uh, these solar panels are kind of strapped on the top of cars. Yeah. I'd there are these like, that. alternate fuel lines that are strapped on, which may be natural gas or who knows what it is, but it's not, you know, going to the uh it, A, it's not going to the to the Amico and uh or the BP and and filling up your tank with old uh with old gasoline. Um and also, I mean there's a okay, I remember now there are very few uh like new model cars that are that are clearly futuristic and, and shiny. And then also um Joseph Gordon let, drives of all things a Mazda Miata. And then the rest are all beaters, right?
1: Right, 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 right. Except for the fancy motorcycle pod racer thing. <laughs> um. <laughs> also, um, the—I mean, this is not specific. I mean, the movie does give a little bit of fudge room around it, but the lack of the declining confidence, at least among certain circles, in fiat currency. Right? Like the fact that in the future they pay you with bullion. Although that's really because they can't pay you with paper currency from the future, right? Because it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be able to exchange it for anything. But like this idea that, that I think I remember there's a, there's a couple shots where it seems like the paper currency like just goes away really fast and like just isn't a really good store of value. I think when they're doing the montage of Joseph Gordon Levitt living, there's a shot where he opens his little trapdoor and almost all of his Mao dollars are gone right like uh his redmond b or what have you uh almost all of them are gone and there's this sense and they're all in these big fat rolls and a sense that he burns through them very fast uh, whereas like throughout the story the silver and the gold especially have like a great deal of worth and people really that's what people invest that's what people hold on to is that they spend paper currency like it was nothing but they hold on to gold and silver which is definitely exacerbating a current trend and i might also say a misle- misled one uh this idea that these precious metals are like the things that will continue to endure to have value and yeah, nothing cool. else will.
2: Yeah, it's. Um, Pete. It's as we were talking about after so Pete and I saw it together. Uh, it, what it really is is the uh, the time travel paradox of thrift.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right. Can you explain the paradox of thrift to people a little bit? Uh, you would. You might do a better job
2: of this actually, but it's an economic paradox, right? That basically says that. Um, and, and, and here's where i sort of get hazy as to the definition of harsh economic times like in harsh economic times uh people like individuals are more inclined to to hold on to what wealth they have and sort of stockpile it for a rainy day but if everybody does that then the economy f- ceases to grow and you only exacerbate the sort of global problem and so there's this this huge uh, disconnect between like what's good in the individual scale and what's good on the on the scale of the populace
1: right 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 right. yeah is that, is that right uh, yeah, that's correct. I, I don't think it's particular. It's, it's in the movie a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Oh,
2: I was just trying to make a pun.
1: but that, Okay, good, because that's kind of the uh, the level on which it operates, which is awesome. Yes, good excellent. All right, good. excellent.
2: <laughs> pun <laughs> on, sir.
1: I'm like, why are you going with this? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: awesome. The movie awesome. is also really violent, completely outside of the context of mob hitmen. I mean, there's that scene at the beginning where... You know, some random homeless guy gets gunned down by some other random homeless guy for stealing what looks to be, like, a worthless bag of stuff. And, like, everyone is armed in the movie. So it's kind of like
1: Second Amendment run amok.
3: And they have these insane
1: guns, too. Like, the GAT. How hilarious is that? The GAT blunderbuss?
3: (laughs) Right. Everybody has guns, but they're no good. Yeah. (laughs) They're they're all, like... (laughs) They're very flashy. Yeah,
0: it's like everyone has guns, but no one has, uh, what, military training, right? Or no one has, like, firearms, you know, basic, like, firearms
1: competence. Yeah, exactly. Don't point your weapon at something unless your intended would destroy it, right? Like, this trigger discipline is important, people. We're going to be holding an overthinking it trigger discipline class if people want to (laughs) train We're really qualified to teach people gun safety. Let me tell you. Eddie the Eagle will be coming by and helping us out. Our, our favorite uh, our favorite anthropomorphic uh, firearm animal thing. <laughs> our favorite one-winged eagle. Top five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Winged eagle. Oh, you're going to blow your other wing off, Eddie? Oh, snap. Damn. Um, yeah, exactly. I really thought that that squirrely guy, the weird, stupid henchman, was going to turn out to be the rainmaker. These guys, I'll make you all pay. Uh, but I was incorrect. Huh. So. There you go. There you go. It would be more like the prophecy of Christopher Walken wearing it, but Bruce Willis does fine. So
0: there you go. <laughs> it's a word <laughs> that has no meaning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're going to meet a lady and she's going to save your life. She's going to save my house. She's going to take care of you. She's going to wash your head. And make- <laughs> your
2: your walking impressions are way better than mine. Oh, really? I kept this watch up my asshole for the (laughs) entire time. (laughs) I was in awe.
0: Christopher, I wish I could have worked with you in hairspray. That Travolta guy doesn't have half the fabulosity I have.
1: (laughs) All right. Pull it. Pull the cord. <laughs> Pull the damn cord. All right. Well, if
0: you want to travel uh, back in time and kill us before we recorded this podcast.
1: <laughs> You're too late. <laughs> it depends on which view of time travel you subscribe to because now you know that you didn't. Right? You, yeah,
0: you must do it in a quantum many worlds Uh <laughs> Uh, hypothesis thing, but you can uh, join the conversation by emailing podcast at it dot com, by calling whatever the non dirty version of two zero three two eight five six four zero one call or text two zero three two eight five six four zero one is. <laughs> uh, you like how I just launched that syntactically uh, over the the phone number to hit the verb on the other side, um, or you can do it uh, in the way that uh, most people do by leaving a comment on the show notes for this post. Um, we will be back next week with another Overthinking It podcast. Until then, you can visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably,
3: probably doesn't, doesn't deserve.
1: deserve. <laughs> Loop it with Loopring.
0: O oh, thin men of Haddam which by the way is a place in Connecticut I'm, I you know O oh, thin men of Haddam why do you imagine golden birds do you not see how the looper walks around the feet of the women about you